Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. I was going to say the alliteration, I mean, but I'm not going to say it. You don't want to be redundant. I know. Well, repetitive. You you've let re- me be redundant for how many episodes up to this point? <laughs> you don't point? want to be redundant, repetitive, or Re- otherwise. I don't want to repeat myself redundantly. Anyway, so uh, we're back in the bistro. Yeah, we're we back. Are. Here we are. Welcome back, Brian. Welcome so back, So glad Brian. to be here. It is. It's a good place to be. Bistro days enjoying, are always good days. Bistro days are always good days. And I'll be honest, I've been enjoying some outside time, yeah, even though it's nice, Indiana nice here in Illinois there. Yeah. I don't know what your weather's been like. It's but not it's been, been bad beautiful. today. It's been it, it's been hot hot over the weekend, but today's not been bad. Yeah. So we're back in the bistro. We wrapped up our series last week of the Oneaters yeah. or the Wonders. Yeah, that's where good we looked feedback at, on that. Yeah, we've heard some good things. Uh, the wait staff has really enjoyed it. That's also my <laughs> wife. For those who aren't listeners, I'm not saying that. That's what Brian calls her. I don't. I, I'm not. I've never called. I don't think my I've wife called her that. Waits I think. On me. I think. <laughs> I think that's something you said. I don't think I ever said that. No, wrong. We have recorded evidence of this. It's well, you know, deep, past podcast with episode. the deep fake with the deep fake technology now, you can make me say anything you want me to. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm spending my time trying to make you say what I want. Um, but anyway, she's been enjoying it, and good. we've had some good feedback about these. Looking Excellent. at these single uh, chapter books of the Bible, and so we've. Right. We've finished them, but yeah. the last two that we looked at were second and third John. Yeah. And so you and felt thinking, like, man, I haven't talked about first John for weeks. So let's do that. <laughs> so we're going to look at first John now. We're going to have a couple weeks on first John here. Yeah. Looking two, at maybe think, two, maybe three. Two parts, we'll, maybe three. We'll see. We'll see how today goes. I mean, who knows? We'll just see what happens. You know, things happen. Yeah, yeah. So we're so, looking at that. So. Tell what, us we've what made, we've what, we've already touched on it, but what are we? What's what what's new? Me, what's different? What made me think about it was when we were talking about how, how I think First John functioned in relationship to Second and Third John. So, do you, you kind of remember what I laid out there, Ryan? What? How would you describe kind of what we talked about with Second and Third John? How would you? That Second and Third John were that First John was a circular letter yep. that it was mm-hmm. kind of a sent as a general letter to the church, right. and that Second John and Third John were more specifically targeted to different uh, house churches and with right. specific messages yeah. uh, that 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 functioned in that went along with First John. Right, and I, and we, I kind of said two, second, third John. Instead of seeing them as far apart, I think they're written to the same situation. They're just kind of two sides of the same coin. Right, and really, what I think is going on is there's false teachers that have arisen within the church, and so that leads a problem because you want to promote the teachers that are out there doing what's good. And one of the things they rely on is hospitality. They 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 rely on Christian households. Uh, feeding them, giving them places to stay while they're doing their work, while they're while they're traveling from one place to another, so they do their their teaching. But at the same time, you don't want to then support the work of false teachers. So how do you know? And Second, right. Third John are basically dealing with this issue. Second John is pretty much saying, "Hey, don't let these false teachers into your house." Third John is saying, you know, Diotrephes is is really even keeping out some of the people that John has sent. And and so there's, again, there's kind of two sides of the same coin going on here. And and so that led you to ask the question. And that's what I think is the natural question that arises. You said something like, well, how do you, how can you know who's a false teacher and who's, who's not? And that's the whole point then I think of first John, uh, that's really the reason I think it was written. Uh, it seems to, and, and I think, I mean, this is incredibly relevant 
it's always been relevant. You know what I mean? Like there's right. even in that the, the, these early first century, uh, you know, we had a lot of a lot of things were kind of spinning around out there, and we see from the early church fathers that it was working through some of these falsehoods about right. who Jesus was. But yeah. you know, it's also relevant for us today. So again. For those who are listening, this is always relevant material right. as we, it is. we and think I, and about. I th- I how, think do we, co- how do we know what's right and what's wrong? Yeah, I think we're going to br- even bring that even more, how, you know, some of the relevancy of some of what's being taught here. So, so yeah, and, and so I'll, I'll go ahead and say just some introductory things about First John. It seems to have been written by an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. Last last time we talked about Third John in that episode, and I encourage you, you can listen to this episode on its own, but if you haven't listened to those two episodes, they, they, it'd probably be helpful if you listen to those before you listen to this one that's on Second John and Third John. But First um, uh, John, what I'm suggesting is that it was, it was written um, by someone, I suggested in Third John that there are some other possibilities, but traditionally this has been thought to be written by the Apostle John, an eyewitness Jesus ministry. And I just want to point out a couple of things. I, did, I told you wrong, Ryan, earlier. It is First John chapter, First um, uh, uh, John, I think it's chapter 5, verses 4 through 14. We'll have to look in just a minute. Uh, that may not be right. Um, but in First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I'm just completely confused now. First uh, yeah. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, uh, I'll read that. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Now I'll stop there for just a minute. We haven't finished reading that passage yet, but you see the emphasis here on this is, this is the one that we saw ourselves and the fact that we handled him, this goes back to that idea that some people say that the primary false teaching that was going on at this time was this thing called docetism, where it seemed like a docetist believed that Jesus appeared to be human, but was not actually human. So, you know, both the Gospel of John and First John, whether this is inadvertent or whether it's intentional, do have these things like we touched him. You know, our hands handled him. He was real, basically. Uh, in, in, in the Gospel of John, you have this thing. You might remember John 21 where they go and they eat Thomas? fish. Right. And, and well, mm-hmm. yeah, Thomas says, you know, I, I have to touch you, right? You know, I, unless mm-hmm. I thrust my hand in your side. There's that part in chapter 20. But then I'm talking about chapter 21 where Jesus uh, eats with them, right? He, he eats a meal, yeah, right? Uh, which is an indication again of of you know flesh and blood that he was he was um, uh, a, a human being, a, a you know fully human being. So what our eyes have what our eyes have seen, which we've looked at, and which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Word, by the way, remember in the in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, word is the way that Jesus is is referred to, showing this connection between these two. This life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. Remember that word testify, because I'm going to come back to it a little bit later. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That... that um, that follows on from what Jesus says uh, in the upper room discourse. You might remember in chapter 14, he says, uh, you know, uh, if you do my my will, this will make my joy complete. This is why, you know, I tell you these things. So it seems to be written by an eyewitness. Did you look over in chapter five? Is that the right passage or am I completely? 
I, ha- I haven't even looked at it. I've just been okay. enthralled. You've been enthralled with by what I've been book. saying, of course. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. chapter well, five. Chapter f- I'll have to find it. No, but anyway, there's, five. there's other indications. Oh, I know what it is. I think I know what it is. Uh, yeah, isn't that surprising? Chapter four, verse dun, fourteen. Dun, Here it is. Dun, yeah, dun, chapter four, dun. verse fourteen. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So it seems to be, you know, basically He's saying we've seen this ourselves. I, I saw Jesus' ministry. So it seems to be written by someone who was an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. And again, I, I believe I have no reason to think it isn't uh, what it has traditionally been thought to be. Who is none other than the son of Zebedee, brother of James, the son of Zebedee, and uh, uh, Apostle John. Um, you know, possible the beloved uh, disciple, Jesus, the beloved disciple. That's that's who I think it is. Close okay. connection between this and the Gospel of John. Now, when we talk about the purpose of First John, this is where I want you to go. Go to John chapter twenty, thirty through thirty-one. That's the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read the purpose statement of the first epistle of John. This is this is kind of what the John, I think, is his name, is the is saying here is the reason that he's writing. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me repeat that because I know it's it's kind of, uh, kind of a lot there. He, the author is saying here, I write these things. At the end of the book, he's saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So First John is about having confidence in, in, in the faith, in the belief that we have. Now go back to uh, the Gospel of John. What, what does it say its purpose is in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31? Yeah, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you you may have life in his name. So how would you describe the connection between the purpose of the Gospel of John and the purpose, the stated purpose of, of 1 John? What would you say? How would you describe that? Uh, just it's this is truth like this okay. is like it's so you so you can have confidence in in your belief okay that's first john and so so john is is the gospel of john is engendering belief basically it's saying i write these things so that you will believe and then first john he says i'm writing to you who believe in other words i'm not i'm not trying to get you to come to faith in the beginning but mm. i'm writing to you who believe so that you may know that what you believe is true. So this is about having confidence is that word that he uses there. Uh, It's about having certainty. So again, think about this situation where you've got false teachers and you have teachers of truth as you, as you were talking about, you have false teachers, you have teachers of truth. That's going to raise doubts. Perhaps that's going to raise these questions of, uh, and so what he's saying, I want, I want you to have confidence. I want you to be able to know with certainty the things you believe. And, and so that's really his purpose in writing. So that kind of gets us to this question, what kind of book is First John? And it's been called about everything you can imagine. Um, it, it, uh, it, it has been called uh, a sermon. Uh, same as the book of Hebrews, we talked about that before. It it doesn't have typical epistolary features, but it does have statements like I just read in, in chapter 5 where it says, I write these things to you. So it seems to be written from a distance. It doesn't seem to be like a sermon that's written down while someone is speaking it kind of thing. Um, and so... You know what? What's its nature? I guess is is what we're asking, and and 
one of the suggestions that I've really been struck by, I had a, had a colleague several years ago, um, I can still remember the, the time we were discussing this, and he said at that time, he said, I think First John is is catechetical in nature, and that's that's just a fancy word. If you're if you're from a high church tradition, you may you may be from familiar with that idea of uh, uh, going through catechism, uh, but it is it is the idea of a of a very specific kind of teaching, right? And, and you know what? When we use catechism, have you ever? heard of that. I don't think you weren't from a church that you went through catechism or anything. No, no. There's some churches at a particular age, maybe 13 or whatever, you go through this uh, very intense study and you learn the answers to certain questions. And that's kind of the form that a lot of catechisms take is it will ask you a question, you know, what is the purpose of man? And then you're memorizing the response. You know, it is to enjoy God. And, and I can't remember the, <laughs> I didn't learn the catechism. So. Well, Murr's making up our own catechism as we go here. <laughs> but it does kind of have that nature. If you look at 1 John, there's there's kind of this give and take kind of response uh, about, uh, you know, how do we know what love is? This is how we know how, what love is. You know, there, there's this kind of a thing. Not exactly the same as, as like a, a catechism of a Lutheran church or a Roman Catholic church or anything like this. But, but, but getting across, here are the basics of the faith. Here are the things that you need to understand. Going back now and putting it in context, though, with Second and Third John, uh, I, I think what is going on here is he's saying, "Do you want to know who the false teachers and the true teachers are? Here are the indicators. Here are the the things that can tell us this." I'll tell you, First John is also certainly not linear in nature. I sent you early, just earlier today, Ryan. I didn't give you much chance to yep. spend time with it, but <laughs> what I've done, and I did, for, <laughs> I did this for a class several years ago. I took the entire text of the gospel, of, or I'm sorry, First John, and made it into a block text, which I tend to do. I, I'll, I'll do this and have students read it that way without chapter breaks, without uh, verse numbers, without really too much, maybe a little bit of paragraphing, but but really kind of just as a block text and, and, and say, read this and see what connections you notice, see what pattern you notice in this. And, and the other thing I did with that, though, in this case, is I uh, color-coded it according to what I consider to be the five major themes that we see in the, in the Gospel of John. And the interesting thing to me is you can just look at it. So it almost becomes a visual aid. We're going to try, I think, to put this up on the website, maybe. It will be. It will. We, okay, we're going to put notes. it up on the website, and it'll okay. be in the show notes. You can click on it and download the link. So What, what I want you to notice ahead. with it, it, what I want you to notice is the, color, the way the colors relate to one another. I've tried to color-code all five of those things themes that we're going to talk about in just a minute uh, with different colors. And so what you see is these big blocks of color. Mm -hmm. So like uh, the very beginning, one of the first themes is this big block of yellow. And, and that's the theme of, of the test of righteousness. We'll, we'll say more about that in just a minute. But, but it's a big block of yellow. But then there's later a big block of pink, but then in between them, there's this kind of mix of a few few different things. Um, mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, is so you have these big blocks that I call movements. You know, kind of thinking along musical terms. Uh, th these are the, these are the themes kind of written large with some of the big um, sub themes brought out of them and trying to explain them to us. But then in these in between points, what I call interludes, there's there's a way in which the author is showing us that these don't all stand independently. These themes aren't all just uh, on their own, but there's a way in which they relate to one another. 
So these are these are, you can't just take the test of righteousness on its own, right? There, there's a way in which this right. is giving us a picture of the entire Christian life, uh, and and so I thought that was a pretty interesting interesting way uh, to look at it because I don't think, as I said, I don't think this is a linear book. I think it's interwoven. Mm-hmm is the way that I'll put it. So the author will talk about a theme and then he'll leave it for another theme and then he'll come back to that first theme later and show the way that it relates to some other things. And, yeah. and so so it's kind of a back and forth nature. Does that, does that make sense, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as I've grown in my... Bible reading and, and grown in it, you know, I start to see this in all, all these other books that you see these, you get these ideas and this interwovenness right. gives you this yeah. much bigger picture of what's happening sure. here. And yeah. I think by this color coding here, you can see, uh, I haven't spent it. I haven't spent a lot of time in first John. Right. That's your thing. But <laughs> to see those themes, how it, um, how that all connects and, you know, these themes go back and forth. You start to see, yeah. a, a that, you know, again, we've talked about this before. We can read these small sections and right, not see that right. the like, oh, this theme is repeated and these go together yeah. and it it fits together and makes a much bigger picture than sometimes right. we see by reading like, oh, I'm going to memorize this verse. But like, ah, yeah. it's in all of this. You know, this whole thing goes together. Yeah, don't forget this, the way it relates. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Don't forget the way it relates. And as you know as we see this whole book relates to each other, we get, right. you know, it, it's, you, we understand what John's trying to accomplish right. with, with his writing. One of the, one of the ways that I came up with these five, what I consider these five major themes is, is from a really old commentary. When I was studying, you know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I did my master's thesis on the Johannine epistles. And when I was reading them, I, I read this really old commentary that was recommended to me. It's called the tests of uh, the test of life. It's a commentary on First John, but it was originally given as as a lecture. It was one of what's called the Kerr lectures, K E R R. Um, they're an endowed lectureship uh, that were given in the University of Glasgow. I think they still go on today, if I'm not mistaken, in the Divinity Department there. Uh, and uh, Robert Law, who's the author of this book, gave this originally as a lecture in 1909. <laughs> so this is not this is not some cutting edge new kind of thing, but one of the fascinating things I think he noticed is this idea of, you know, this book is to give us confidence, you know, as believers. And that's really why he's writing and and thinking about the original readers too. Again, you're, you're, you've got these competing views of early Christianity that are, that are here, this kind of docetistic view, perhaps, uh, perhaps some other kind of, uh, you know, false doctrines that are are thrown in there. And, And then you have a, you know, the, the truth that's been handed down from the eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus. And, and so he says that he, he sees these tests of life. And so there's, I, I've counted four of them. He, he mentions three tests of life. And then he also mentions this, this, another theme that I'm going to bring in in just a minute. He calls it something different, but basically simply put, he, he mentions three tests of life, which are the test of righteousness, the test of belief, he calls it the test of faith, and the test, uh, the 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 test of love, are the three that he mentioned. Not in that order. Test of righteousness, test of love, and the test of faith is what he says. I, I use the term test of belief. Let me just briefly talk mm-hmm. about what those are. Test of righteousness is where are those parts of the, of the book of First John where it talks about the the way that a follower of Jesus is going to behave. It has to do with, we could use the term holiness there if we want to, but he used the term righteousness. Um, it's those ways. So, so basically one of the things that, that the original author is saying to its audience, and, and again, we said that it seems like 
that this false teaching that was going on, if it is some form of Gnosticism, uh, one of the, the the hallmarks of Gnosticism is a is a potential for licentiousness. In other words, you could go and behave any way you want to in a sinful a sinful lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this idea of your spirit is separated from your body, so you can basically do anything you want. And so you know, there's this this dualistic view, and, and so um, you know that that test of righteousness. Basically, the author is saying, look, if these teachers are not acting according to what has been commanded even by Jesus, then then you're not to listen to them. These are these are the ones that you should not give support to. That's one of the tests. Second one is test of love. And that, that's pretty self-explanatory, but but it's what I often talk about that our faith is is a community um, inspired act. It, it is it is a it takes place within community. We can't separate it from community. That we can't be a lone ranger Christian. Part right. of what it means to be in Christ is the love that we have for one another, the way that we show love for one another. And, and he's big on so that. So wait, are you saying that online church is not? <laughs> well, hey, I'm going to have to be careful here. I think there's a. Pl- I honestly do believe there's a place for online church, but I think right. It, the, I, agree. That, I agree. That place, but you can't wh- make it your primary thing. That places within community, even online, it's possible to have, you know, a, a community being a part of a community that you're going to see on a regular basis and this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm burning you here. So. <laughs> where I what thought you were on? going, where I thought you were going is this, is, you know, uh, well, you know, to quote the book of first John, how can you say you love God and then hate your brother who, you know, you mm-hmm. say you love God whom you've not seen, you hate your brother who you have seen, you know? Right. So, so one of the things that the author is saying is these false teachers are going to be characterized by a divisive nature, by a, by a hateful nature, uh, instead of following the command of Jesus, right, to love one another. Now, even there, you can kind of see the way these two tests are not completely independent. Um, it's not like you can have righteousness and not have love kind of thing. But but he's, he's going to say, one of the things he's going to say is that Jesus commanded us to love one another. So you're going to see this, this kind of, and that's, that's where we see this interplay. Um, the test of faith, what he calls, or the test of belief, we could call it this way. It has to do with doctrine. And basically, uh, the, you're, you're holding to the, to the beliefs, to the faith that has been handed down to you. Now, it also takes its action in the way that you, 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 are, you believe in this to the point that you're able to put your faith Totally, your trust totally in it, in the way that I like to use the word trust a lot. And then the final one I use, I call it the test of the spirit. Um, and that's one of the things that that he's going to say is this is how we can see the difference is if the spirit is living within us, if we if we see the work of the spirit in our lives. Now, that's going to manifest itself in righteousness and love and, and faith. Uh, and again, we see the connection of all of them. Now, I do think there's an additional theme that I've added and and I should say added uh, Robert Law in his old commentary noticed this as well. He uses it to talk about that that idea of um, how shall I say it? Um, basically, that we can have confidence in these things. Uh, we we can we can be sure that they're true because they've been handed down from from the beginning with eyewitnesses. And, and so I call this the the theme of testimony. The reliability of the gospels can be seen in testimony. And and any of my students have had me know that the testimony of the gospel of John's a big deal for me. Uh, look at First John chapter five. Do you have that there, Ryan? First John yeah, chapter sure five, do. verses six through nine. Go ahead and read that for us, if you don't, if you don't mind. 
This is where yeah, we see this, this theme, the, I think, most clearly expressed. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Okay, so we have this idea of testimony, and I, I should mention some of your Bibles may include a, a, I, I forgot completely about this is this is what's called the Johannian comma. There, there's another line in there. You'll see it in your footnotes of most modern translations. Uh, but if yes. you have the King James or New King James, there's there's an addition, and it's it's Trinitarian. Um, I'll tell you that story another day. That there's that's a deep story, but but for right now, let me just say I don't think that I don't think that Johannine comma was in the original. I don't think it was original part of the Gospel of John or the, uh, the Book of First John. The Spirit, uh, the Spirit, it says. But then it then it, the the added line is, and there are three on earth that testify, and there are three in heaven: the the Father, the Spirit, uh, yes. and the Son. And so you yes. get what I'm saying? They're making it a very Trinitarian kind of formula, which yes. was important. Uh, for, for in a very particular time, this is, I told you this is a big story. I'll tell you the no, story. No, 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 don't, don't, don't get into I it. I was just, I, for the listener, <laughs> right? No, I no, want them right. to understand what right. was happening, what we were yeah, talking okay. about. And I, I needed that. some clarification, Brian. <laughs> well, if you need clarification, I really was not being very oh. clear then. So the spirit, the spirit here is, is the, the theme of the spirit and the, the spirit testifies. I want you to notice that word testify. Um, and then it says that God his testimony is given as well. So testimony is a, is a major theme. And l l let me show you this. I, I'm going to do this numerically. We don't always do it this way, but the word uh, testimony, uh, the, the Greek word is martyria. It's where we get our word martyr from. Uh, you know, originally they were the witnesses, martus, uh, or martyr is the, is the word. And it was, uh, it's the idea of one who testifies, but testimony itself is martyria. And that word occurs 37 times in the New Testament, 37 times in the entire New Testament, the word martyria occurs. It occurs 14 times in the gospel of John. It occurs nine times in the book of Revelation. This is one, you know, I told you, I think there are themes that run throughout the, all five of the, of the Johannian um, literature. And this is one of them nine times in the, in the book of Revelation, six times in first John, and then once in third John, it doesn't occur in second John, but you know, these are, these are short books. once, once it occurs in third John. So here's what it's, that adds up. If you do your math very quickly, after I said all <laughs> that, <laughs> 32. 30 yeah, cuz I have it written down 32 times 32 times well done Ryan you're you're paying attention Thank 32 you. times out of the 37 times that it's used so that means there's only five other times it's used in the new testament outside of these five books that we call the johannine literature uh, that word that word uh, martyria uh we could also look at words the the the, the uh, verb form which is martyreo the the idea of uh, to bear witness or to testify which you even saw in that little that little thing that god testifies we know his testimony is true this word is used much more frequently in the gospel of john all of all of these for the most part i should say the word the word martyr martus is a little bit different the the, the witness because it's used quite a bit in the book of acts too but but most mm. of these words are used only in in or are used 
I shouldn't say only, but used more in the gospel or the the Johannian literature than in any other any of the other writings. So that that theme of testimony, and again, the purpose is to to give confidence. Uh, these are things you you saw that in the in the very beginning when we read First John chapter one verses one through four. Uh, these are things we saw him, we we held him, we touched him. Uh, he appeared to us. You know all these all these words that are very very strong uh, about having been eyewitness to these things. Questions yeah. or comments on any of this so far? So so that's kind of no. the introduction to the book. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of the so we have these themes: the test of righteousness, love. Yeah of belief and this one like uh, of testimony test of testimony um, yeah. and we see that pretty heavily throughout all all of johanian literature that this yeah. word uh the mart martyria is that martyria correct? yeah martyria is testimony. very mm-hmm. yeah is like heavy concentration that's what we kind of right. s- we see this theme we believe that the gospel writer of john and first john second john third I, I john and same. also revelation Re- as we revelation i think that's yeah. correct I think that's correct. There's, and that's not the only reason, but that this theme of testimony runs strong. It's a strong, you know, stream that runs throughout all all five of these books. So I thought we'd go through the test of righteousness, and I'm not necessarily going to go through all of these in in great detail. But I thought this first one, the test of righteousness, that I might go through in more in more detail. Uh, if you look at First John chapter one verse five through two six we find what I call the first movement on righteousness. And I'm going to kind of break it down. Again, we're not going to do this with all of them. It, you know, that'd be a whole full class on the book of First John. But First uh, mm-hmm. John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, it begins this way. Again, this is the test of righteousness. So it says, this is the message we have heard from him. So think about this. This is saying, we heard Jesus say this himself and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So, so see, this is the idea of, you know, truth isn't just a static idea, but it's something that needs to be expressed in our lives. It's not just an ideal, but it's something that's expressed through our actions. Uh, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the solution basically to, to the problem of righteousness is the next thing he talks about. But this, it begins here with this idea of the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. In the next section, he talks about, you know, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So, so righteousness, uh, how I say this, isn't something that we just naturally have, but it is something that we, we have because of Jesus. And, and it's in our confession of our sin that we, we receive that, that, and then, and then chapter two, verses three through six, it says, we know that we have come to know him. And by the way, I didn't mention this, but knowing is a very important theme, both in the gospel of John and also first John, but we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So again, think about this. They're looking at these false teachers. And one of the things that they're saying is, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. They're, they're expressing a living, a licentious lifestyle and, 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 you know, he's saying this is how they can you can you can see it. If we keep his command, we know we are in him. 
but does not do uh, he, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. How can you tell a true you know truth speaker from a falsehood speaker? Well, are they living out the things that they're saying, uh, or, or are they? And 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 I don't think we're talking about perfection. We'll come back to that because there are some things in First John that have caused some people. Uh, to say that, but you, you, I, I didn't read this fully. But earlier, it, it says uh, if anyone says that they're without sin, they're they're a liar, right? That that mm-hmm. that sin. But we have this uh, solution for sin. We have this this uh, solution in 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 Jesus is what what he's saying here in this. Um, so that's that's the first. Uh, part this, the 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 first movement, the test of righteousness, and then interestingly, I'll just show you this in verse seven. It says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've heard from the beginning. Uh, and, and so it's to love one another. So that's the first part of this idea of love. So we have mm-hmm. righteousness, and now we're going to have this, this idea of love. The first, what I call the first interlude on righteousness, is down in chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And this is just a little statement, but it kind of calls back, if you will. It's kind of like in that, you know, when you're watching Star Wars and, you know, I'm using this idea of, of uh, a movie, you get you get these grand themes, you know, the Imperial March, you know, is, you, you know, one of those that's very famous and, you know, you know, the bad guys are on the on the move. But every once in a while, just as a hint, you'll get John Williams will be he'll mix in this kind of this just this little theme, right? This little yeah. uh, line from that grand movement. And you're going, oh, something something bad's getting ready to happen. Uh, and that's the same kind of thing here. Not that something bad's going to happen, but he's he's reminding <laughs> us. He's reminding of the us. the theme. It's, you got another overture so you can recognize the themes. Exactly. That's yeah, why you got to listen to that opening song in a musical. Because all I the mean, themes are introduced and they, they get called back throughout the see, whole this, play. This is, your, your, this is right in your wheelhouse. This is your, yeah, that's musical, right. your musical ability right here. So verses 28 and 29. <laughs> this is the extent of it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and read 28 and 29 for me. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So that idea of continuing in him is the idea of walking in the light, you know, doing what's right, this idea of righteousness. And if you know that he is righteous, then you know the one who's right has been born of him. So how can you tell a child of God, child of of the devil? Well, is he doing what's right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first couple of times we see this in in 1 John. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, this is, you know, I think this is... Again, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning, is just like this is important for us as well to yeah. kind of to to see um, the parallels, and even for us today, right. how we live, the, those that we listen to, does their does their life testify to, to, to Jesus as well? As I yeah, as, absolutely. If I as I go through the rest of this, I want you to think about the way that this does play it out and church, play itself out in churches today. Uh, how do we talk about righteousness? What do we mean when we say righteousness in our in our in our context? So look mm. at First John chapter three verses three through ten a, and because there's a very specific thing I'm going to talk about when we get we get to this later on. Uh, all who have this hope in them purify themselves. That's where I think it it breaks off here. And now it relates to what goes before, but uh, they purify themselves in this hope, just as he is pure. So purity has to do with this idea of righteousness. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know 
you see the the knowledge, the the confidence here. Mm-hmm. You know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And, and uh, there are going to be different translations there. That's that basically. Um, uh, it, it says sins, but it's in the present tense. And, and so what we usually understand is this idea of an ongoing nature of sin here, the, the idea of a, a continual present, we call it. So so that idea, no one continues to sin, has either seen him or know him. Uh, so, it, it, dear children, let no one lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, uh, just as he is righteous. In other words, just as God is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Uh, Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Uh, And and I stop it there because it goes on and talks about love after that. But uh, you you see this idea, again, a very strong sense of of, uh, being born of God is, is, is what leads to righteousness. Because God is righteous. So if you are his child, born of his seed, literally, is what it says here, then you are you are also righteous. Uh, down a little bit later in chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, we see a, the second prelude here, or a second interlude, I should say. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We will receive anything from him, we ask, because we keep his commands. Another way to say, you know, we do what's righteous. We do what he commanded us to do. Uh, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, the interesting thing about that is you see three of those tests of life all mentioned there very very shortly. You see, he's, he's bringing together these themes now. So you have uh, to believe, uh, I'm sorry, this is his command. We keep his commands. So that's righteousness. Uh, we we uh, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the, the test of faith or the test of belief. And to love one another. That's the test of love. The one who keeps God's commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us because we the, the spirit he gave us. That's the test of the spirit. So there's all four of those tests in that in that interlude. Uh, and again, he's just kind of showing us how they're connected. And then I think in the very last chapter, 1 John chapter 5, he gives us what I would call the conclusion on, on righteousness. This is verses 2 through 4. Uh, so 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. Very interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is the same thing that Jesus says in the upper room discourse. A lot of people notice the similarities between the, those those chapters, Gospel of John chapters 13 through 17, what we call the upper room discourse and 1 John. I think I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But but this idea of loving and obeying are, are hand in hand, right? It's not, it's not simply a matter of receiving God's love, but it is, it is um, keeping his commands is the way that we demonstrate our love for him. Uh, this is love for God to keep his commands. His commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world that overcomes the world, by the way, is an interesting theme as well. Uh, you might remember that, Jesus said the same thing to his disciples in the upper room. And that word is also used very used very infrequently. It's the word nikao, um, uh, related to the word nike, nike uh, is winged yep. victory, right? Uh, and, and so that word nikao also occurs in uh, 
in the book of Revelation. We're said to be overcomers there, which is a really interesting, again, a connection that we see in all three of those. By the word of our testimony, right? Yeah. Yeah. We will overcome. So, so, you know, again, I have a hard time seeing how you can't see these, you know, and people say, well, it's at least the same school, right? It's at least the same group of people, right? Um, uh, maybe yeah. a community. I'm, just <laughs> uh, I'm teasing. But, I'm but teasing. anyway, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of righteousness. So here's where I'm going with this is how, so my first question is this, how did this help the original recipients of the letter? If we think about first John as an attachment to second, third John, then let me ask you this, Ryan, how would this idea of the test of righteousness have been, have been helpful to the original recipients then of the letter? Hopeful? Helpful. helpful. Did I say helpful? helpful. <laughs> helpful. I, well, I just said it's the interwebs. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, I think it's. I mean, it's basically. I mean, it's as if we think that Second and Third John, or as we've kind of made the case, Second and Third John go together. Yeah. It helps them understand. Like, I mean, it's the test. Like, how do right. you? If if someone comes to you and says says this to you, but right. lives in a totally different way, right? Then that there is not, or it doesn't seem, or how their actions don't seem congruent with right. what else you've heard, right? Like they they're they're not of they're not of God. Like it's right. it's this is this is a litmus test, exactly of, of, yeah. of who's. Because there's a lot of people, apparently a lot of people are coming to them with different ideas. And and on the flip side, then if someone comes to you, you know, same way that Diotrephes has has apparently rejected some of the teachers that even, even John has sent him, you know, the idea is if they're, if they're living in righteousness, then this is a sign that they're children of God, you know, the same as we are. And so Mm -hmm. you don't need to toss them out. We need to support their work. So then I ask this question, how do we apply this to our situation today? How does this test of righteousness uh, affect us? And you talked about this a little bit already. Would you, is there anything else you wanted to say about that? Well, I, I just, I, I think there is, I, I think there's always been, I think as we think about and we look at um, what's going on in the world and what's going on in the church and where people are at, I think it's, we have to be on guard for false teachers. I right. mean, we're, we have a lot of voices coming at us sure. uh, anymore like a podcast, uh, but kind of going like, <laughs> how, how does the words and the actions, if if they're not, if I mean, I think it's just the same thing. Like if they're not they're aligning, not con- I think congruent. for us today, yeah. it's kind of going, um, and it's hard because we don't, right. I think back then, I think it was easier because you typically saw the person, you're eating a meal with the person, what is so forth, sure. you could see you how could it see all played out. a bit more out. about that person's life, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's it's, true. I think it's, I, I was thinking about it in this way, just in terms of a almost a balance, and I, I don't want I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about some kind of a stoicism and a moderation, you know, everything in moderation, even moderation, that kind of thing. But I do think there there's a balance here. I think there are some churches today, and I'm talking about in our, in our contemporary situation, that have so emphasized right living. And, and I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. rightfully so. There's nothing nothing wrong with light, right living, but that has been their their focus to the point that they find themselves almost inaccessible to people who may need to hear the the message of the gospel. 
Do you see what I'm saying? And yeah. I'm thinking about very some very specific churches and some very specific um, belief systems that go along with that. Some of them based on First John, uh, this idea, you know, the holiness churches where we can receive a second act of grace so that we no longer sin. You know that that sanctification can become complete. That sanctification is a process by which the Holy Spirit makes us holy. That that can become complete in, in this life, which which I don't mm-hmm. I don't believe. Um, but what that does is that begins to make you separate yourself from people who act differently, who, even if they're non-Christian, who, who act in an unrighteous manner. And, and so what I think those churches struggle with, and again, I think their, their emphasis on right living is fantastic. And, you know, they're, they're great examples of holy living, but where they struggle, I think, is to connect with people who who see that as kind of a, I can't, I, I could never attain that. I could never be like that. Um, and holiness, there's a very short step from holiness to holier than thouness, right? Uh, to, to begin to look down toward yeah. other people who don't, don't share your, um, who, who don't live in, in the way that you do. Um, you know, as I'm often saying, we, we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like, acts like the world. Uh, it shouldn't shock us. We should go, well, yeah, that's, that's right. exactly right. On the other and, hand, I mean, and that's the, the, and, but that's the antithesis of Jesus's ministry at the same time. I mean, the right. Pharisees are the ones that saying like, why are you eating with them? They're they're gonna make you dirty, you know. They're unclean right. in some ways, you know. Like right. you're, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, and, and, and Jesus was with them. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. So that's that's the one side of the coin. the uh, The other side of it is, and again, you think about even Second, Third John. They're having a hard time, right? Knowing knowing how to apply this, but but the other, the other side, side, is you side of it is too culturally relevant <laughs> that I, you lose any distinctiveness. That the, the, the you're so focused. You said it exactly correctly. That, that you're so focused upon becoming relevant, we're, we're connecting with culture to the point that, like you said, you have no distinctiveness and and you've lost the message of righteousness. Right? You, you've you, you know just becomes a, a glorification then, uh, or, or at least a failure to condemn sin. Right? It, 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 well, we can't we can't condemn because you know all, all of these different that would turn some are, people are off. And, and so that's where I think you find, when I say balance, that's what I'm talking about, between maybe the extreme of, of holiness to the exclusion of, you know, relegating outsiders to a, to a arm's length, right? We'll never, we're never going to have anything to do with them, to the idea of so trying to connect with um, people who need Jesus that that. You you then don't have a message left to tell them, right? You you have no yeah. there's no transformation that, like the, that takes place. And and it, from churches I've been a part of or been in and and part right. of like that's always the struggle of it like is. well how it's how much do we go this way or how much do we go this yeah. way? And it's you know it's well we want to attract people and. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I mean, that's this has been a conversation for decades. It has now been for the well, church. And, like, and, how do we? Yeah, here's kind of what I'm going to conclude with: is if there's a similarity between the upper room discourse and First John, which I think there is, Jesus in the upper room <laughs> said to his disciples that you are not to be of the world, right? In in other words, don't let the world taint you with its its um, focus, with its you know uh, incorrect. Uh, understanding of the way things are, 
but I'm not taking you out of the world is what he said. So, so we, we shorthand it, you know, in the world, but not of the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jesus never said that specifically in that specific way to his disciples, but he did say to them, I'm leaving you here in the world so that you can have this, this effect. You, You can have this influence but you are not to become of the world. So that the, I, you, know, you said it goes back decades, but I think it goes back to the very beginning. It, it is built in to the very nature of Christianity that we're walking in this. Well, Paul would say we're residents of two kingdoms. We're, we're walking in this, this place where there's a, there's a struggle. There's a, a pull one way or the other. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not, uh, we're going to fail. I, I fail sometimes in, in maintaining that balance in the way that we should, but, um, mm-hmm. You know that that that's the constant tension. I think that we have to have to walk, you know, down that tightrope or whatever other metaphor you want me to throw in there. Uh, we have to kind of walk mm-hmm. that that edge. So, yeah. Well, it, and it's never about it's like I'm going to live wrongly to make the connection. No. You know what I mean? No. Like it's just right. But it's like I, I want to live right, right. But I still that how I live properly and righteously does not separate me from the outside world. Right. right. You know, it's, and I it's, condemn, I, you know, he's not saying like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I want to condemn what sin, you know, I want to say sin is, I still want to call sin, sin. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's, I mean, it's really hard in today's culture. I mean, and again, I, like you've, like you've pointed out very well, it's not that it hasn't always been. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, again, it makes me think about, um, uh, secular age by Charles Taylor, where he talks about this time when there was a very clear distinction between, uh, you know, the church and the, and the society as a whole. Um, but you know, there again, that might've been so far to the side that, that people were not really being brought into a, to a close relationship with Jesus yeah. as well. So, but I think it's in our current cultural context, I think it's harder for us to make those statements. And there, when I say harder about saying truth or that's wrong, right. you know, there is a whole going back to Charles Taylor, social imaginary, yeah. like the world that yeah. we live in that like that we see is like we're swimming in a world where there is no absolute truth that, you know, and right. so like if I say something is wrong, you know, the thing is, well, that's it wrong for you and what you right. think. Think. Like there's no absoluteness right. in there, which is something I think is maybe more unique for our, you know, kind of in the last 40 years than, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying be. that the first century didn't have this, but um, right. modernism seemed to have some more cut and dryness to it. And yeah. now we're getting the thing of like, it's all power and right. power and control. It's true. Why I say it's right yep. and wrong. So, yeah. Well, anyway, oh, that's what I've got. I think we'll, <laughs> no, that's fine. I think we'll stop there, though. I was going to do the test of love, but I think we're we're close to an hour right now, so I think maybe we'll we'll stop here yeah, and see good. what we can do. Well, tomorrow. this is great. You know, uh, again, to to jump into this, and I will. I'll have this color coded document that I will yeah. put in the show notes. Now, when I say show notes, as it is live right now, uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can typically click on the podcast episode itself, uh, and it'll pull down. There'll be links and stuff in there, and you can click on the link, and you can download that. So it's all part of the show and show notes. If you're on YouTube, uh, you can look in the description. There's links in there. If you want to support us, you can find a link there, yeah, but you can you also go. find a link. I'll put a link to this document as well, um, so you can kind of see what Brian's been talking about of how these themes play out together here in in John 1. Yeah, be interested in any, any feedback, any other, as you look at that document, maybe maybe there's some things you'd, you'd tweak one way or the other. I'd be interested in hearing about that as well. So it's been Absolutely. a while since I taught this material. I said a few weeks. It's actually been quite a while since I taught this material. It'd be, <laughs> 
be fun to do it. Everything all can again. be measured in weeks, can it, Brian? <laughs> well, according to all Daniel. Right. So. <laughs> oh gosh, let's not start that. All Bible right, well, juke. Brian. Yes. <laughs> Brian, thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. And I look forward to, to, to jumping back into First John again next week. Yeah. Good to see you, Ryan. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. bye.